This morning we'd like to look at verse 18 through 20 of chapter 1 of Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifested to them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Quite often when a person is facing the judge in court, they will offer the excuse Well, I didn't know it was against the law to do that. And the answer they will hear from the judge is ignorance of the law is no excuse. If one day you have to stand before God at that great white throne judgment and you seek to offer the excuse, well, I didn't know that you really existed, you will hear him say, the ignorance of my existence is no excuse. And Paul tells us why in this passage. For God has revealed himself to us so that the ignorance of God is a deliberate ignorance. There in verse 18, Paul said, When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And then when you get down to verse 28, Paul said, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. So they knew God, but they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. So their ignorance of God is not just ignorance because God can't be known or because they didn't know of his existence, but they didn't want to retain the knowledge of God. It is a willful ignorance as they have rejected the incontrovertible truths that God has manifested unto us revealing his existence. The evidence for the existence of God is plentiful. It is all around us. As Paul said in verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that he made. Our world itself, with all of its complex life forms, testify of the existence of God. As we read in Psalm 19 this morning, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows his handiwork. Day unto day they are speaking to us. Every night their voice is going forth. And it's a universal language because there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. We take the telescopes 
and we peer out into space and we see those galaxies that are millions of light years away. And they testify to us of the vastness of God's power, the greatness of God in the creating of the heaven and the earth. We take the electron microscopes and we probe down into the smaller forms. <laughs> and it's an interesting thing with the electron microphones, microscopes. They have discovered that fleas have little fleas that bug them. <laughs> and as much as we can peer into the world that is not seen, we see the various microbes and the various uh, germs and so forth, these live forms that are there though invisible to the human eye. If I do not believe in God, then how can I explain the existence of the universe? Well, let me give you one of the common explanations. Some 15 billion years ago, there was no universe like we know it today. There was only a small little particle about the size of a dried pea. And something disturbed the balance within this little particle and it exploded with a big bang. And from this big bang, this little particle the size of a dried pea was shot out throughout the universe and it formed the various galaxies. Uh, it formed the suns or the stars within those galaxies. And as part of the gases cooled, they became planets that uh, were in orbits around the sun. And uh, this all began uh, with something as small as a dried pea. Well, I've had the opportunity to travel around the world and, and to see much of the world in which we live. And I can't believe that even the world, the size that it is, was once compressed into something as small as a dried pea. Now that just, you know, it, I don't have that kind of faith <laughs> that can believe that this, and, and they're saying not just this world, but the whole universe was something as small as a dried pea. And then they say, this is science, and uh, this is what, you know, uh, you must believe, that this is how it all came into existence. Well, I find it a lot easier to believe that in the beginning, an infinite God with infinite power created the heavens and the earth. In Isaiah 42, 5, we read, Thus says the Lord God, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which comes out of it, He that gives breath unto the people upon it and in whose spirit are, and spirit in those who walk therein. If 
I seek to eliminate God, how do I explain my own existence? Without the creator and intelligent design, how is it that I exist? Well, billions of years ago, a bolt of lightning struck a pond of exotic mixture of chemicals and the first amino acid was formed. And then that amino acid began to combine with other amino acids and it formed uh, the first protein cell. And then this protein cell joining itself with other protein cells uh, became actually a DNA molecule. And from that DNA molecule, uh, life forms began to come forth. And that DNA formed into plants. It formed into animals of all sorts, insects, and finally you. And here you are. You began in the goo. You came through the zoo. And it's finally you. For they say that matter acting on matter, given sufficient time, can bring anything into existence. I know you don't believe that. Let me illustrate. If you and I were walking on the beach there at Huntington, and I see an object in the sand, a little shiny object, and I reach down and pull it out of the sand, and it's this watch that I'm wearing. And if I would turn to you and say, look what I found. It's keeping perfect time to the second. My, somebody must have lost their watch. And you would say, oh no. That just evolved. <laughs> you see, the waves washing on the shore and over a period of time, matter was acting on matter. It took several billion years, but matter on matter can create anything. And that would mean that it could create this watch. But we know better than that, don't we? We know that this watch testifies to us of design. But if the watch testifies of design, and we can't believe that it just came into existence as a result of fortuitous occurrences of accidental circumstances over billions of years, then how could you possibly think that the wrist upon which I am wearing this watch just happened to evolve through fortuitous occurrences of accidental circumstances given billions of years of time. It's just as ludicrous and just, in fact, it's far more ludicrous to believe that you exist as the result of blind chance matter acting on matter 
as it would be to believe that your car that you're presently driving or uh, the watch that you're wearing uh, just came into existence by matter acting on matter. We understand that that doesn't happen. There is the testimony of intelligent design. And thus, the heavens declare that God does exist. The earth and the life forms declare that there is an intelligent designer. For you see, there are two possibilities for the fact of your existence. One, you were created by a God who had infinite knowledge. Or, you evolved over billions of years of accidental occurrences. But as the watch testifies of intelligent design, so does your body. And that's what it, David told to us this morning. The earth shows his handiwork. In verse 19 of chapter 1 here in Romans, Paul tells us that that which may be known of God is manifested. For God has shown it. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Paul is telling us that God made up this universe. God made up the material things and the life forms within the universe out of things that can't be seen. The invisible things that we can't see uh, are the basis of all creation. Now, as we have discovered the makeup of matter, we realize that we are made up of atoms, which are invisible. But atoms are made up of smaller particles known as protons, electrons, and neutrons. And, of course, they are, of course, invisible too. But we understand that these are the building blocks of everything that we can see, everything that we can touch, all made up of atoms, made up of the building blocks of electrons, protons, and neutrons. They tell us that an electron is so small that it would take 15 quintillion electrons lined up single file and they would be one inch long or a uh, electron is one fifteen quintillionth in, of, of length of an inch one fifteen quintillionth of an inch now I don't know who counted them <laughs> so I'm a little dubious about the fifteen quintillion number they may have lost a few somewhere along the line. Because, you see, to count to 15 quintillion, it would take you 19 million years counting day and night at the rate of 250 a minute to count that many. So, as I say, I don't know who counted them. Uh, and so they just declare it. And so, well, give or take a few, perhaps so. But invisible matter 
made up into atoms, combined into molecules, making up the world that we observe. And Paul is telling us that God has showed to us himself. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal Godhood and power, so that you're without excuse. Basically, Paul is telling us that God has revealed himself to us by the things that he has created. But there are people that say, well, I can't believe something that I can't see or feel or touch. Well, I guess that means that you don't believe in atoms. Have you ever seen an atom? Touch one, felt one? Well, yeah, you have seen and touched them uh, when they are formed into objects, but uh, as an individual. But I suppose it would also mean that you don't believe that you have a brain. Have you ever seen your brain? <laughs> ever touched it? Ever felt it? <laughs> so you do believe in things that you can't see or touch or feel. But you see the evidence of them. And because you can observe the evidence of them, you come to believe. Though I can't see God, I believe in God because of the evidence. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. That you are without excuse. The evidence of God is all around us in the universe in which we live and in the life forms which we observe around us here on the planet Earth. God has manifested himself. God has revealed himself. But you wonder, why is it that a person would not want to believe in God? And the only thing I can figure is a person would not want to believe in God because they desire to do things that God said we should not do. And so they don't want to retain God in their minds. And that's exactly what Paul tells us. Because they didn't want to retain God in their minds. Because God has put prohibitions on certain things. But I would suggest that you study the prohibitions that God has made and show me one good thing that God has prohibited you doing. You'll find that all of the pro prohibitions that God has given are things that are harmful, hurtful, destructive, and will ultimately end in pain for you. But because people want to do those things, they will not retain then the knowledge of God in their minds. And we read that God then gives them over to reprobate minds. Jesus said that the Father did not send him into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth in me, he said, is not condemned. But he that believeth not in me is condemned already, seeing he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, but men would not come to the light, for they loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. So as I said, 
A person doesn't want to believe in God. They will deny the evidence of God because they are wanting to do things that God said are not to be done by us. Don't try to excuse yourself by saying, I just can't believe. The truth is, you just don't want to believe. But what is the consequence for not believing in God? Well, it means that you're going to have to make up in your mind some concept, some theory, some idea that will explain your existence because you're here. You exist. You exist by some means. And you exist either by creation or you exist by evolution. If you believe that you were created by God, then there is a purpose for your life. If you believe that you evolved as a result of fortuitous occurrences of accidental circumstances, then there is no purpose for your life. Your life is an accident and actually a long, long series of fortunate accidents through billions of years of time. And being formed by an accident, you'll probably go by an accident someday. No purpose, no meaning for life if you eliminate the Creator and the fact that you were created. Not to glorify God for your existence, you've got to glorify something else. And so Paul tells us that the foolish mind was darkened. And professing to be wise, you actually became a fool because you worship and serve the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. The tragic consequences of such folly. For Paul, or the, David said in the Psalms, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The consequences, someday you will face the wrath of God. As verse 18 says, for the wrath of God will be revealed against all of the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who have held the truth of God in unrighteousness. It means that God will give you over, your heart over, to believe all kinds of preposterous lies, the lies of evolution, rather than the truth of creation. God will give you over, it says, to a filthy mind and to perversion. In verse 28, he said, because you do not want to retain God in your mind, he'll give you over to a reprobate mind. And it will take you ever lower into the depths of depravity and sin. And Paul tells us of those sins uh, and, and the depths of depravity that men are led into who do not want to retain God in their minds. And rather than evolving, to a higher order, you will actually devolve into the lowest order of human life. 
Belief in God is always elevating. It always brings enlightenment to a society. The belief in false gods leads to depravity. And so the consequences of not believing in God following after your own folly means that you will become less of a person than God ever wanted or intended you to be. You will become trapped in the quagmire of sin. And so the glorious gospel that we have to share is that God did create us. He created us for his purpose. And there is a purpose and meaning in life. And that we can know God. For he has revealed himself to us. And by knowing him, we can have eternal life. And this is life. That you know him. The only true God. Who has revealed himself to you. Through the creation of the universe and the creation of you. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that as we have received that revelation and have come to believe and put our faith and trust in you, that you've blessed us. You've elevated our lives to higher levels, to spiritual realms impossible for the natural man. And so, Lord, we pray today for those who have been maybe questioning your existence, help them to look around. Help them to hear your voice as you speak to them through your creation. And may they come to know you and to know the blessings of fellowshipping with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand? The pastors are down here at the front to minister to you today. Maybe it's time that you acknowledge the existence of God and seek to really know Him better. Opening your heart, your mind, your life to Him. They're here to pray for you that God might reveal Himself to you in a very personal way and that you might experience the touch of God and the love of God in your life. And so, as soon as we're dismissed, Make your way forward. These men are here to minister to you and to pray for you. Maybe there are other needs that you have. You believe in God. But you're going through some heavy experiences right now. And you just need someone to pray with you. To help you make contact with God today. The Bible tells us if two or three agree together on any issue, the Lord will do it. And so they're here to agree with you. And we would encourage you to come down for prayer. 
But may the Lord be with you. May he watch over you. And I pray that he will reveal himself to you this week in some new and special way. That you'll come to the realization that God loves you. He'll he'll manifest that. That you'll see it in circumstances that you will be facing this week. Suddenly you'll realize God loves me. He's concerned. He knows where I am. He knows about me. And may you experience that touch of God in a special way on your life this week. Tonight we continue our journey through the Bible. Tonight we are looking at Acts chapters 17 and 18. So we encourage you to read them over and join with us in our journey through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This morning we'd like to draw your attention to the 17th chapter of Acts. The first three verses, as there we read how that when Paul had left uh, the city of Philippi, that he came then to the second European city on his missionary venture uh, to Thessalonica, And there he went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days. And we read that he was showing and alleging from the scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again on the third day, declaring to them that Jesus was the Messiah. It says he reasoned to them out of the scriptures. It's interesting how that there are those who, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, they think that you have lost your senses. The truth is, you have actually found your senses. Uh, I don't believe in blind faith. I believe that there is a solid basis, a reasonable basis for our faith. Believing that Jesus is the promised Messiah is a very reasonable belief. God calls people to reason. In Isaiah, he said, come, let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. The people in Isaiah's day had been doing very unreasonable things. The prophet is calling them to, let's reason this thing out. Uh, They had rebelled against God. That's unreasonable. To rebel against God. God's Concern and love for you is beyond anything you can imagine. And he desires the best for you. And thus in rebelling against God, you are rebelling against what is best for you. We read there in Isaiah that they didn't stop to consider the consequences of their actions. And that isn't wise. A reasonable person 
when he's starting off on a venture, will stop and he will seek to discover, if I take this path, where will it lead me? What will be the consequences or possible consequences of this particular activity? The people weren't doing that. They weren't considering uh, the tragic consequences if they followed the pattern that they had started. Isaiah tells us that they had provoked God to anger. Now that's about as stupid as you can get. To get God angry with you just doesn't make sense. And then God said, they're just sick in the head. There, there isn't a reasoning there. They're, they're sick. And we then uh, read that God says, come, let's reason together. I was in the sixth grade when I first heard the poem Invictus by Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds me and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And when the teacher read that in sixth grade, I thought to myself, how stupid can you be? Only in sixth grade, but I remember thinking that that doesn't make sense. My head is bloody but unbowed. How foolish to brag that you are the master of your faith, that you are the captain of your soul. But that's where Israel was when God spoke to them through Isaiah and said, come, let's reason together. And God said, if you're willing and if you're obedient, you can eat the good of the land. But if they rebelled, they would be devoured by the sword. They didn't listen to God. They did rebel and they were devoured by the sword as the Babylonians came and destroyed the city and took them captive back to Babylon. God's plan of salvation is very reasonable. In fact, it is so reasonable, you have to look for some reason why a person would reject it. Search as you will, you won't find any good reason for rejecting God's offer of salvation. You can find a lot of lame excuses, but no good reasons. Those who reject Jesus as their Messiah do so because, as Paul said, 
The God of this world has blinded their eyes that they cannot see the truth. They're blind to the truth. David tells us that the heathens, they make their own gods out of stone or out of wood. And when they do, they make their gods like themselves. They carve eyes, they carve ears, they carve mouths. But in reality, the little gods that they have made and are worshiping, though they are like themselves, they are less than themselves. Because they've carved eyes on the little gods, but the eyes can't see. They carved a mouth on their little god, but the mouth can't speak. They've carved ears on their little god, but the ears can't hear. And then he observes, they that have made them have become like unto them, like to the gods that they have made. The prophet Isaiah said to the people, Having eyes to see, you do not see. Ears to hear, you will not hear. Paul talks about those that profess themselves to be wise. But in reality, they have become fools because they worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Someone sent my wife some beautiful roses for her birthday. They're probably the most lovely assortment of red roses I've ever seen. And, of course, the first thing you want to do is just put your face right down in them and take a deep breath and smell the beautiful aroma. Now, in looking at this beautiful bouquet of roses that she has, putting your face down in it and taking a deep breath. If you say, oh, that's God. That's stupid. <laughs> that rose isn't God. And you don't worship the beauty of the red rose. Reasonably, you would say, that's a creation of God. He made it so beautiful. He gave it such wonderful fragrance. What a marvelous God he must be. Paul said it's because they didn't want to retain God in their minds that God gave them over to reprobate minds. And they were doing things that were unreasonable. He wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, because they not, did not want to receive the truth of God, that they might be saved. God allowed them to have a strong delusion that they would believe a lie rather than the truth and be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, 29, the Lord said, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider the consequences of their folly. God wants us to use our brains. He created your brain. And like my little granddaughter, uh, well, she was little then. She's grown and has her own child now. But uh, when she was just a little girl and I was 
uh, driving her up to our youth camp. And she said, Grandpa, let's talk about God. I love to talk about God. And so we started talking about God. And she made a statement concerning the Lord that was so sharp. I said, oh, honey, that is so wise. That is so good. Grandpa just really loves that. She said, well, Grandpa... God gave me a brain and he wants me to use it. And that's so true. God gave you a brain. He wants you to use it. And it is very reasonable. Paul reasoned with them out of their scriptures because it is reasonable. Those who reject the truth lose their sense of of reason, and they become dupes for all kinds of foolish and unreasonable theories. Paul wrote in Second Thessalonians 2.10, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved, God gave them a strong delusion that they would believe a lie that they might be damned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Because men do not wish to believe the rational conclusion that the intricate mechanisms of our human body demand intelligent design by an omniscient creator, God has given to them a strong delusion so that they believe the totally irrational theory of evolution. Uh, that all of life that we see today is the result of billions of years of fortuitous occurrences of accidental circumstances of ran random matter acting on matter over a period of a long time. Given sufficient time, they say that Anything can be produced by matter acting on matter. Well, I typed up my notes for this message and I printed them out on my computer. Do you think that my computer just came into existence over billions of years of matter acting on matter? Or was my computer designed, engineered, and fabricated by intelligent men. Do you believe that my computer just all of a sudden appeared? It's just a fortuitous occurrence of accidental circumstances, matter acting on matter over billions and billions of years. If you do believe that, I have a bridge I want to sell you in Brooklyn. Of course not. We realize that there is intelligent design. That it was put together, engineered, designed to fulfill the functions that my computer does fulfill. But do you realize that my body is 
far, far more complex than my computer. And if you can't believe that a computer or an automobile, your car that you drove to church in, just happened to create itself through billions of years of matter acting on matter, then how is it that you could possibly believe that the complexity of the human body could just come about through chance circumstances? Paul was seeking to reason with those there in Thessalonica. Reason from the scriptures as he sought to prove to them that the Messiah had to suffer, had to die, and be resurrected, and that Jesus was the Messiah. He went to their own scriptures. He showed them the prophecies. Three Sabbath days, opening up the scriptures. And no doubt, as he did, he shared with them this passage that we read out of Isaiah today. The passage concerning the Messiah that said he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We turned every one of us to our own ways, but God laid on him the iniquities of us all. And as Paul reasoned to them out of the scriptures, showing, alleging, and proving that the Messiah had to suffer, he had to die, and that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus not only fulfilled the prophecies of Isaiah, but prophecies throughout the Old Testament, more than 300 of them were fulfilled in his birth, life, death, and resurrection. And the chance factors of anyone fulfilling all of those prophecies are beyond uh, the uh, mathematical probabilities. A few years ago, there was a rabbi in New York named Shearson, and thousands of Jews believed that he was the Messiah. We were over in Israel when all over Israel there were banners, there were bumper stickers, there were uh, signs that said, Messiah is coming. And they were expecting Shearson to come and acclaim himself as the Messiah. But he wasn't born in Bethlehem of a virgin, and thus he's already disqualified, and yet so many people really thought he was the Messiah. But there are 300 predictions that would have to be fulfilled by the Messiah. And as Paul spent three Sabbath days there in Thessalonica, he was seeking to prove to them that Jesus was the Messiah. If you stop and consider, the Bible purports 
that it is and it proves that it is the inspired word of God. There has been no other book in the world that has been scrutinized by so many people in order to find fatal flaws than the Bible. If those flaws did exist, they certainly would have been discovered by now. And yet there are still people today that read the Bible only in hopes of discovering some fatal flaw so that they can disprove that the Bible is the Word of God. But there is no other book that has stood the test of time as the Bible. No other book has staked its authenticity by declaring in advance things that would happen before they ever took place. In Isaiah 46, 91, God said, I am God. There is no other God. I am God. And there is none like me who declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, I've told the things that have not yet happened, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. In other words, the Bible is challenging its authenticity to be predicated upon the fact that things would be spoken of in advance before they ever happen, so that when they did happen, you would have the proof that God is outside of our time domain and can speak of things before they exist as though they existed because he is an omniscient God and he has inspired the scriptures. And it calls on that to you, for you to reason that out and to realize that the Bible is a unique and an amazing book, has to be inspired by God. Jesus said to his disciples, Now I've told you before it has come to pass, as he was talking about his death, so that when it does come to pass, you might believe. A man does not reject Jesus as Messiah on intellectual grounds. Jesus said, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he that believeth is not condemned, but he that doesn't believe is condemned already, seeing he has not believed on the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light, and so they would not come to the light. So, don't give me some kind of an argument, well, intellectually, I just can't accept, you know, that, no, 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 that's not, that's the excuse. The reason is, you love darkness rather than light, according to Jesus. A person who is living in sin, and loves the sin that he is living in, will not come to the light of Jesus because he knows that it will reveal 
that sin, and it will require a change in your lifestyle. If you love living a homosexual lifestyle, then you will not come to Jesus and the light of Jesus Christ. If you enjoy open sex relationships, this is the reason why you will not come and believe in him. If you love living high on drugs, this is the reason you would not come and believe in him. Jesus said that it's because they love the darkness rather than light. There is nothing more rational than to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That as Isaiah prophesied and as Jesus declared and as is affirmed to us in the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. That you might have a righteous Base, or the, God might have a righteous basis for the forgiving of your sins. For the life of me, I cannot see how a person with a sound mind who wants to live a good, decent life would reject Jesus Christ. As the Lord said, come now, let's reason together. Father, we thank you for the reasonable hope and the reasonable faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And that, Lord, <laughs> you have spoken. You have proven that you have spoken. And you created us, Lord. And we observe our human bodies and the life forms around us and recognize that they all bear witness and testify of intelligent design. Lord, we pray for those that are here today who have hesitated putting their faith in you, believing in some way that it was sort of leaving their senses and their reason and blind faith accepting. But Lord, help them to realize that it is not blind faith. It's a reasonable faith. And help us to be able to give to every man a reason for the hope that we have of salvation through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. <music>